Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Empire. Triple Play Fantasy's football show with D. Mindy, Brastadamus, Doc, and Johnny Foosball starts now. Man, if that doesn't get you hyped, I don't know what does, honestly. <laughs> and I needed that type of intro to welcome in a man that the sheer mention of his name makes Wes Welker have nightmares. This 15-year <laughs> Pro Bowl player played in 177 games and recorded almost 1,000 tackles with 16 picks. No, I didn't stutter. All while leading his team to Super Bowl 43 win in 2009. This is a man that exceeds in small space, challenging any running back to come through the hole and see what happens on the other side. The guy you've seen on the field, in the weight room, in the studio, and now he's on triple play fantasy, ladies and gentlemen. The man that looks just as good in a suit as he did in uniform, it is Ryan Clark. What's going on, man? <laughs> hey, man, that wasn't a bad intro at all. I think that might be my, my best pod intro ever, man, so I appreciate it. Hey, man, I had to do it big for, for someone <laughs> like yourself, man. I'm super pumped that you could give us the time. Uh, but first, we got to start with this, so... You're a busy man, as we talked about before we kind of hopped on and started recording here. You're the co-host of DC and RC, a program yep. focusing on MMA topics that you do with Daniel Cormier, seen mm-hmm. on the ESPN app, at ESPN on YouTube and Twitter. Also, you got the audio po- uh, podcast going there, too. You host the weekly digital series uh, Face First yep. and the founder of DB Precision. But apparently you forgot the most important thing that you had uh, scheduled here. And this was I had actually had this say for the last time we were going to be on the show. But uh, I was like, man, I made it on a Ryan Clark tweet right there. <laughs> but uh, I was like, hey, man, I was like, it's, it's, I totally get it, man. You're, you're a busy guy. And I have to ask you about all the stuff that you're doing, because, again, mm-hmm. doing a, a bunch of stuff. So first, tell me about uh, the Face First podcast, because I, I yeah, love everything you're doing with that. Yeah, it was, it was a cool deal, man. Honestly, like, I, I don't necessarily love TV. I just love football and I had an opportunity to talk about it, but the politics of TV is difficult sometimes, right? Because you may have all of these great games you love, all of these things happening in sports that you love, but the ratings don't necessarily say that's what you're supposed to talk about. You know, like you know, you take this morning uh, when we did get up, we talked about the Dallas Cowboys four times, and you know, and I wanted to get into other games. I wanted to get into the Seattle Tennessee Titans. I wanted to get into Arizona Cardinals, Minnesota Vikings, but Dallas is a huge name. It's a huge team. And so, so many times you're doing or talking about things that producers or other people think you need to talk about. And I was like, man, if I don't get an outlet for some of these ideas and some of these thoughts, like I'm gonna go crazy. And so that was just how I started, man. I, I talked to my friend who I do a radio show with. I was like, hey, bro, can I use your studio to shoot a podcast? He's like, absolutely. And so then we started started going and, it, you know, it started to pick up a little traction. And I was like, man, maybe I should get some guests. 
um, when I started getting guests on. I think my favorite was getting an opportunity to sit down with Troy Palomalu and I Taylor and really just chop it up about our careers. Troy's, Troy was going into the Hall of Fame that week and to listen to him, who somebody who doesn't really talk a ton, just take mm-hmm. you through his career, why he retired, the, the way he saw football. And so it's been really fun, man, to watch it grow, uh, be creative, at least, at least as creative as I can be, and, um, you know, have something different than, you know, the same old ESPN each and every day. I love it, man. And you were already better than me at football, TV, big hits, and now the <laughs> only thing I had over you, podcasting, you're already... No, nah, you still got it, it, man. <laughs> you still got it, man. <laughs> but that, again, that's not all that you're doing. You also have the the uh, thing with Daniel Cormier, the DCRC mm-hmm. program, which yep. I didn't know you were in, into MMA until that was announced. And so I think it's kind of interesting. Is there a background mm-hmm. story of how you got into the MMA field? Yeah, um, well, one, I just like violence. I'm just going to be honest. You know, uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to play the game a certain way. And in, in order to be uh, on the field at all, and so I played the game as hard as I possibly could, as physical as I possibly could, even though I wasn't a big dude. Uh, but it was Chuck Liddell. Right. So they go back to Chuck Liddell, he's, you know, with uh, fighting Couture, fighting Tito Ortiz and obviously losing the rampage later. He was just my favorite fighter. And, you know, it was on Spike TV. And what you do was back in the day. So you too young for this. You don't remember going to Best Buy to buy DVDs. You know, you guys just stream everything and get everything digital. And so you <laughs> could go to Best Buy, bro, and you could buy like UFC's greatest knockouts. Yeah. Right. And so it was just people getting put to sleep. But you'll see these videos and it might be like, you know, one of the Gracie's in a in a gi fighting Shamrock who had on shoes. Or it could be like a 300 pound black dude in a karate uniform, you know, fighting some little small dude in the tank top. Like it was just no holes barred, no rules. And that fascinated me. And so then as it started to become more of a sport, like I just got locked in. And what I started doing was in the off seasons because I didn't want to run really early. I didn't want to lift or train too early. I started practicing, right? So I did Kempo for stand-up. I did grappling. I did jujitsu, And that was kind of the way I kept myself in shape before I started football activities. And, you know, I was hooked, man. So I would tweet about it all the time, talk about it on TV all the time. And because I was watching, first of all, they were getting all my money on pay-per-view. So I'm glad I got it because now I at least <laughs> get to watch the fights for free. Um, and so... Daniel had like a name of a list of 20 names of people they offered him an opportunity to do a show with. He's from Louisiana. I'm from Louisiana. And he ended up picking me. And so each week we get more comfortable. We're starting to understand each other. And it's pretty cool. His son's a football player. And so when his son does things, you know, in little league or in middle school, he sends them to me. You know, in DC, he's like, let's think about this RC or should, should we train this or should we do this? So it's pretty awesome to have a dude I admire so much for what he was able to accomplish, whether it be as an Olympian or, you know, as an MMA or UFC champion, kind of have a son who's doing what I do. And he always turns to me for it. Now, going through this process, have you gotten people from like the football round to be like, why are you talking MMA? You're a football player. You don't know anything about it. Does that come up a lot? Yeah, all, all the time. I mean, all the time. And, you know. The like MMA is and UFC is basically like a garage band, right? And so they they don't want their garage band selling out arenas. Like like they want only the people who do what they do to talk about it. And it's so crazy, uh, because obviously DC had a show with Ario uh Halani before me, who you know is a great reporter, has covered the game, covered the fight game forever, and everybody's like, We want Ario back, ooh, ooh. 
you know, why are you talking about it? And I was just like, well, first off, me and Ario have exactly as many UFC wins as the other. Zero. Mm -hmm. You know, we both do. And I was like, and I'm speaking on fighting from a an elite championship level athlete and a fan perspective. Like, I just love it. And I watch it. And I can ask questions and I can study and I can do all those things, but also understand what it's like to be prepared for those situations to be eye to eye with someone. You kind of talk about, you know, small spaces. Like I, I know what that's like to look a dude in the eye. A dude wants to run you over, wants to kill you and not be scared. And so I don't mind like the people, I actually have new friends in my DMs on Instagram. Like I got this one dude, he's big into jujitsu. Another dude who's an amateur fighter and they challenged me initially. You know, what do you know about fighting? And just like talking to you, you know, I can talk about, you know, Stefan Bonner, Forrest Griffith, you know, Ultimate uh, Ultimate Fighter Challenge 1. I can talk about all these things and they're like, oh, you, you really do understand it or you really do know it. And so now they send me all these different things to help me learn about wrestling or grappling or whatever it is. And so it's been cool to develop some relationship through a little hate. Yeah, and you do it like anybody, man. You dealt with, speaking of, like I, I went to the Ravens game last night. And as a Steelers awesome. guy yourself, I was like, you must have dealing with hate going into that stadium. Like, I was like, if you can deal with that, you could deal with anything. You know, you know, what's so crazy, man. Like you enjoy that stuff, though. I um, yeah. my son plays for Arizona State and they played BYU uh, last weekend. And so I got to go to the game and, you know, they were just so nice to me. Like, thank you for coming. We really enjoyed the game. Like they passed out free ice cream from the mm. Alumni Association. Listen, bro, I'm from, I went to LSU. The only thing you might get at LSU is the finger. That's it. Like that's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be the nicest anybody's ever going to be to you. And so to be in the atmosphere like that, which was really cool. It was the whiteout, student section was packed, there wasn't an open seat. But I was like, gosh, everybody here is so sweet. Like I like those hostile environments. You know, I love going to the swamp in Florida. I love going to Baltimore and Silas and that crowd playing in Kansas City. You know, like that's what you that's what you live for. You want to walk into places where you're hated because usually where they hate you, they respect you. You know, like mm -hmm. the Cleveland Browns fans hated us because it's not a rivalry. We're going to come here and stump you out each and every week. But they, they would like cuss you and throw stuff at you. And I loved it because now when I put one of your players down, I, I know you feel it, too. You know, like you wish you wish you was a Steeler fan was how I felt. And so. <laughs> And so, man, I, I loved, uh, you know, going to Baltimore. Um, I can't say I would have wanted to play Lamar Jackson, though, because, uh, you know, it's, it's I, I could save myself the embarrassment. Um, but I'm sure that was an electric atmosphere for you to be able to see you know, Pat Mahomes, uh, Patrick Mahomes. His mom gets mad when you call him Pat. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, those type of talents, you know, up close and personal. As a Chiefs fan, I, I can say it was very uh, depressing the end of the game, but the atmosphere was definitely <laughs> was electric. And just dealing with the hate from the fans leaving, that's why I was like, okay, I feel like I can, not from the football yeah. player standpoint, but the opposing team. But I do want to ask you a little bit about your career here. Uh, mm -hmm. So you go undrafted after LSU, mm -hmm. and that was bait that you didn't need because you're already a hard worker. So that was just mm -hmm. extra fuel for your fire here. And I heard this story for the first time on Bustin' with the Boys when I was listening, that you basically... Uh, you were out of the, you basically out of football. You get cut. Yeah. You're working for the Tiger Athletic Foundation, yeah. and then you get a call to try out for Washington. And the story that follows, I think, was just fascinating. For those that haven't heard that story, mm -hmm. can you talk about kind of what transpired that with that? Yeah, it was. It, you know, it's one of those things. Like it's part of your process. It's part of your journey. And like I'm so grateful for it. 
Uh, but, you know, they bring me in. Sean Taylor had hurt his knee. Another guy who was an undrafted guy hurt his knee because Joe Gibbs <clears throat> was kind of old school. And so, man, I go to first day, bro, and we do 40 up-downs to start right out of the gate. Oh, oh, all right. Man. You know, I'm going hard. It was my first day. So I can't be the dude that's like the the the, the, the chubby kid, the old lineman that's just laying on the ground, not doing his up-downs. So I'm going hard. <laughs> Then we get to individuals, and we're just catching deep balls out of the post. Get a deep ball, get a deep ball, get a deep ball. And, man, I just almost pass out. Like, legit, bro. I'm in the tent. They have, like, towels over me. And Sean Taylor walks up to me. God rest his soul, one of my closest friends. At the time, I had never met him, right? So all I know at this point is, like, you're that dude that was awesome at Miami. You know, he walks over. He's like, bro, you got to get up. Like, it's the first day. Like, you can't do this, you know? So coach comes up to me in the middle of the practices and goes, you got to do something. Like, they don't, if you don't do something, they're going to cut you. And so next practice, I get two interceptions. So boom, I'm back to the next day. Uh, cut day comes, and my name's the last cut on TV, but nobody calls me. So I get on my knees. I say my prayers. I thank God. I bring my bags in. And Greg Williams, you know, he just cusses a ton. Like, he got his legs closed. <laughs> he's like, he's like the mother ethnic reporter's. If you were, you know, he's like, you'd make this team if we were picking today. Like, that was my first chance. I was telling him, I was like, oh, I got a chance. You know, I have a chance to make this team. And, and you know, man, so the first week, uh, I finally made the team. The first week, I'm not up. Second week, I'm up. And I'm playing against Tom Coughlin and the Giants. Tom Coughlin, this is, at the time, September. In May, Tom Coughlin, Tom Coughlin had just told me I wasn't good enough to play in the league. You know, he had oh, just man. told me that. He had just told me I wasn't big enough. I wasn't physical enough to hold up. He told me that they played football in Canada. They had arena football. I should really focus on special team. And so, bro, I'm at the I'm at the bathroom. I'm in the bathroom, which is weird. Like, I'm at the urinal. Um, and, you know, my coach is next to me. Strange story. Now it's getting weird. Um, and he looks over. <laughs> he, looks, he looks over at me, bro, and he's just like, you know, strong safety? And I was like, hell yeah. Like, if I didn't know it, I wasn't going to tell him I didn't, you know? I was yeah. like, hell yeah. So he puts me in the game, and now I'm standing across from Tiki Barber, who, you know, who at the camp, who at training camp the year before, I tackled him in a live drill, told me that I, I could never tackle him in the game, right? So I'm getting an opportunity to play against him, get an opportunity to play against Tom Coughlin. So it's all these opportunities, man. And, you know, me and Sean start together for two years, I end up going to Pittsburgh from there. And I guess the rest is, is history. The rest is uh, what 177 games? I never knew that. It's a lot of games. Um, the rest is 177 games. Uh, an opportunity to do what you love for a living, you know. Um, as one of them, as Sean put it, when he was still alive, you know, we played a, ki a kid's game for a king's ransom, and you know that call from Washington, after you know working at the Tiger Athletic Foundation and talking to Will Muschamp about being a GA, they call changed my life. You know, I'm not talking to you right now without that call. I'm not on ESPN. I don't get an opportunity to host shows about a sport I was never involved in if I don't, you know, get that call from Washington. So I'm grateful. And speaking of Washington, there was something that we actually had Clinton Portis on last month, and he mm -hmm. actually brought your name up as somebody mm -hmm. that was really good for your second stint there, just the culture mm -hmm. that you brought. Mm -hmm. And he mm -hmm. brought your name up as the moment that you left or the moment uh, that, that they uh, got rid of you, that mm -hmm. pretty much that was when everything kind of tailspinned out of there. And I remember hearing on the same podcast that you had talked about that Jay Gruden pretty much used to talk subliminally about guys at times, namely RG3. Yeah. And uh, it just sounds like, was it really as dysfunctional there at that time as it kind of was in the media? Um, I think, I think a little bit, you know, um, 
the, what Coach Gibbs was there, it wasn't dysfunctional. I'll say that. It mm-hmm. was it was old school, you know, because he was kind of like stuck in the 80s of when he won championships. So they had to kind of get him acclimated to doing things the way we did them, you know, in 04 and 05. But it, it wasn't dysfunctional. It was a little when, – when I came back, it was just that Jay was new, right? And Jay's personality mm-hmm. was different. And you had a quarterback like RG3 who was great for a year, but obviously you had a backup quarterback who was better in Kirk Cousins, which is showing now that he's still playing in Minnesota. You had a backup quarterback who did things the way Jay Gruden wanted him to, behaved in ways Jay Gruden wanted him to, uh, but his hands were kind of tied about it. And so, you know, you had those situations and then defensively, you know, things were going on that were a certain way. And obviously it comes out that the organization was an absolute freaking mess, you know, from, from top to bottom. Uh, people were being mistreated. Uh, there was just misconduct left and right. And so you hear some of those things and you start to feel like, man, how, how could you win? Mm-hmm. You know, like, how could you be successful if these were the things that were in the atmosphere? But you just, but like a player, you don't really know. Like, I'm just living, you know? Like, my thing was, I'm going to get here at 5.30 every morning. I'm going to work out. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to get in the cold in the hot tub. I'm going to watch film before everybody. I'm going to be like an old dude and have my coffee waiting. Like, that was me, you know, every single morning. And so I can't say that those things ever affected my individual play. But I do know those things kind of trickle down into who the team is and and what you do Mm -hmm. as a team. And so um, they seem to be trying to move in the right direction. I think Ron Rivera is just a good man, not only a good Mm -hmm. coach. And shoot, a tail Heineke, bro, keeps playing like we've seen him in his first two starts, mm-hmm. they, you know, I, I think, like, it's so crazy. Nobody actually really wants Taylor Heineke to be their franchise quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is, this is, you just don't. Like, when you can't tell me, like, if you march Taylor Heineke out to be your starting quarterback, and even though he's not good yet, Trevor and, and Trevor Lawrence is standing next to him at the coin toss, you can't tell me, you like, you're not going to be like, look at our guy, man. Our guy's terrible. Like, just look at it. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to feel that way. Um, but it really seems like that organization is going the right direction. They are. And, I mean, yeah, I think you're happy if Taylor Heineke is your backup. You're like, man, we got a capable backup that can step capable, in. You're like, right. Yeah. Right. Like, right. I mean, but the thing is we'll be able to see, hopefully, kind of just, like, what he does over a larger mm-hmm. sample size because he's going to, you know, be starting for a little while. But, mm-hmm. of course, again, you had a great career. But there was another part I wanted to talk to you about, and that was your transition into media. and. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, again, on first take, you have a notebook. And, and I didn't know this about you, obviously, kind of just listening to, to other things and hearing you talk, that you mm. keep like a notebook for everything. And you, you're a hard yeah. note taker dating back to, you know, when you were obviously playing football. But that work yeah. ethic that I was you know talking to you about in the beginning, like that that's just that's the type of thing that like you hear it. And it just like is contagious. Mm. Like you're like, man, Ryan Clark is grinding like he, he didn't have anything given to him. Like he mm. worked for whatever he was doing. And of all people, Skip Bayless saw that grind. And called yeah, you the crazy. most prepared, uh, not just athlete, but anybody. Was that what did that yeah. mean to you? It, it was dope, man. Because you know, at the time, like Skip was the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they didn't have that. Wasn't but that's before undisputed or all these other debate shows were out. If you if you were on first take, you were on the show. Like that was the show to be on. And so, one, I thought it was awesome that they felt I was a good enough player that it made sense to have me on the show. Um, and so, I just wanted to be prepared. I just remember going in. And being like, man, I, I want to kill it. Like, I want to do a good job. And, you know, walking out of the meeting, I had been taking my notes and I was talking and I was asking questions and different things. And he goes, and he's like, I just, just like, wait, I'm going to stop everybody. Like, 
Ryan Clark is the most prepared entertainer, athlete, any guest that we've had other than true panelists, journalists, or or analysts. And I was like, you know, that meant a lot to me. And because he felt that way, they allowed me to come back anytime I wanted to. And that kind of moved me into having an opportunity to get a job. And I tweeted about internship. Trey Wingo introduced me to Seth Markman, uh, who's my boss now, ironically. He slid in the um, DMs, right? He slid, he slid in the DMs. Well, he slid in mine. He slid in mine, you know. My <laughs> wife doesn't like my wife's not going to approve of me sliding in anybody else's DM. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, and he and and you know, and it was and it was cool, man, to have someone give you their word that they're going to do something and they do it. And and that's why you know all the stuff Trey's doing now away. Now that he's no longer with ESPN, I'm always happy to be a part of it because, shoot, he doesn't do that. I don't know where my career is. Maybe I am working. Maybe I'm not. Um, and so, as soon as I retired. I had my job. I remember they announced it at the Super Bowl. It was when New England played Arizona. We were all at dinner, all the ESPN people, and we had a toast. It was like Ryan Clark is joining us. And then I retired during the combine. They announced it that day. And, you know, the rest is now just continuing to work, continuing to figure out your spot. And remember being that active player with the notebook. You know, this Mm -hmm. morning when I'm in the get-up meeting, my notebook's purple this year. Uh, This morning uh, when I'm in the get-up meeting, it's my purple notebook, it's my pen. Dan Olowski sitting across from me. He got his notebook out too. Uh, Greeny's typing his notes in his phone. And so it's like people understand that to do this job well, you have to put the work in. And I think you could see the guys that do. I never wanted to be that dude where people were like, oh, he's not, he's not watching film. You know, he's not studying. Um, he's not, he's not you know, researching. I always wanted to be the person that was informed, uh, that was prepared and, then if you all those things, now you could just be your natural self on, on air. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, you know, I, I could talk with you about that for a long time, but I, I just, what I took from what I heard is, is you pretty much in the beginning wanting to kind of think what people wanted to hear, but you eventually were like, yeah. no, they want to hear me, like who I naturally am. Like, yeah. That was the, that was a hard part. You know, um, I can be honest, you know, one being black plays into it, right. Uh, being a black football player who played defense, who didn't play quarterback, and knowing that the smart perception as far as a football player was the way I played. I was smart. I was physical. And so I knew I had to be those things. And so coming into working for ESPN, I'm like, man, people got to know I'm smart. Like, they got to know that I'm on it. And, you know, and two, I'm from New Orleans, and I kind of have an accent. And so it was like maybe I should kind of talk like Lewis Riddick, who wasn't there at the time. But, you know, like people who speak in certain ways and that are familiar those are usually the people that, you know, higher up and executives gravitate to and allow to do certain things. But I was like, I did that for a little while, bro. And I was like, man, this junk sucks. I was like, I suck. Job sucks. It all sucks. It's not fun. And I would have people tell me, um, Josina Anderson was one lady in particular, would just always be like, like, bro, I wish people knew how funny you were. Or I wish people knew how fun you were. And I was like, what you mean? I'm fun as hell. Like, you tripping. <laughs> You know, and then I would watch it and I'd be like, oh, RC, like you're boring, you know. And so to be able to do TV now in a way that that's fun, that's entertaining, but still um, educational, still um, teaching people about the game of football. I think that's the that's the sweet spot. And I haven't really reached my peak yet, but hopefully I'll get to a point to where I know, all right, this is where I need to be. I mean, you're all over ESPN and you're a personality that everybody respects and responds to because you, you, you're real and you bring Appreciate energy, it. you bring all the knowledge. So I can, I mean, I, I know it's just speaking for me, but uh, I definitely feel that. And I can, 
you know see that that much you're, you're crushing on tv honestly but uh, you, i know i know speaking of tv i know we gotta uh get you out of here so i yeah. want to just close out this interview with a little fun just rapid fire triple play rapid fire my right, goal is to ask you one question that you've never been asked before you game okay let's go right, let's uh, get it before we go uh i got danny woodhead Friend of the friend of the pod wants to say what's up to you. So tell him I say what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So question one: Watch The Office or football? Oh gosh, that's tough, bro. Why would you do that to me? <laughs> I'm gonna say this: Depending on the team, Office. Like I, I'd watch, I'd watch Baltimore, Kansas City. I definitely wouldn't watch like Jacksonville, Houston. <laughs> uh, you know, I can respect that. I can, I yeah. can totally respect that. All right. <laughs> Waffles, pancakes, French toast. What order? Um, French toast, waffles, pancakes. That's the perfect order. I like it. Sweats or suits? Sweats. Not even close. Like I'm about to, right, I'm about, when I go across here now, I'm just putting the top on because I'm just gonna be on the bureau cam. I got them have on joggers. I feel like I didn't know we talked to Marcus Spears last year. I thought we asked him that question. And he said suits because he liked the way you looked in them. I have to double check that. But uh, <laughs> uh, talk to your past self or your future self. Past for sure. I like it. Would you rather block James Harrison or go across the middle on a pass with Troy Palomalu back there? Block James Harrison because it's closer, right? If I <laughs> if I could be really close to James to start out, he's just gonna toss me out of bounds. If I'm running fast and Troy's running fast, it's I'm probably not gonna have an ACL after he shoots my <laughs> kneecap. So hell no, I'm blocking James. <laughs> I love it. All right, I'll give you the last three here. Uh, okay. The Frohawk or the clean cut? Because I know you rock both of them. Uh, Frohawk for young RC that played football. Uh, okay. Clean cut. Uh, clean cut. Now, I did have the Frohawk, though, about, I think it was like 17 or 18. I loved it on TV. It was like high <laughs> and curly. It was dope. <laughs> he grew out pretty long. I remember that. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty long. Yeah, I grew it for like a year. I started at Super Bowl one year and cut it at Super at the Super Bowl the next. I love it. Uh, all right, you only get one for the rest of your life. A fork, a knife, or a spoon, which do you choose and why? Um, I choose a fork, right? And, and, right answer. And, and here's why. Here's why. Uh, you can still cut with a fork like you get, if, you, if you have to. just can't have no tough ASS steak, so you got to go medium. Um, obviously, you can eat with the fork. If you're getting something soupy, you just got to figure it out. You can drink it, mm-hmm. right? Also, too, say if, if, if all I have is those three, then maybe I don't have like no knives, guns or anything like that. Right. So I can also stab somebody and defend myself with the fork. I cannot do that with a spoon, but also with the knife, like I can't really eat like talk about. So I'm going to go fork. I think it's more versatile. That's the, literally the perfect answer for the fork. We've only had one knife and it was Hugh Jackson. And he said, basically for the weapon reason, he was like, I always have a weapon. <laughs> on." <laughs> when you brought that up, that made me think of that. Uh, last that. one. Okay. Hear Dan Orlovsky talk about Carson Wentz on a loop for an hour, or hear Max Kellerman talk about Brady falling off a cliff for an hour. Kill me with the fork. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. Just stab me. You take my own fork, stab myself, and listen to neither. Um, <laughs> I, 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 bro, I, I can't give an answer because I'd hate them both equally. I truly would. So that's my answer. Kill me with the fork. Yeah, I love it, man. On that note, man, RC, I want to uh, say thank you so much for coming on the show. This is an absolute blast. Thanks so much. Man, thank you for being flexible, man. I really had a good time, bro. You do an awesome job. Hey, thank you, man. And uh, anything before you get out of here, you want the people like check out uh, 
pods, social media, anything yeah, like man, that? Just, yeah, listen, man, just check out uh, Face First Podcast on, um, it's on Instagram, uh, underscore Face First on Twitter, uh, Face First Podcast on DB Precision Official, YouTube, iTunes, uh, DC and RC, anywhere you get your stinking pods because DC is on it. And, man, I'm going to get up, NFL Live, First Take, SVP. Uh, please tune in. Please support. We appreciate you. Always, man. Always. And again, you're the man. And uh, again, thank you for your time, man. We'll talk soon.